So today we finished our discussion, or rather our discussions, on how to find personal jurisdiction. Uh, in the last episode we talked about general personal jurisdiction. And I just want to sum that up just for the sake of making sure it's all covered and clear. We have principal place of business. Well, so the way to find jurisdiction for an individual or for a company is domicile. And how do you find domicile? Well, for an individual, it's where they currently reside. And if they have an indefinite intent to remain there. Now, for a company, a domicile is the principal place of business, the state of incorporation, or three, in very unusual cases, it's at home. And we have several of these cases that are trying to help us understand what at home is. The important thing to know is that at home does not have a fixed term, but it needs to mean that most of your cells and employees for a company in that forum need to be vastly more than anything else throughout the rest of the world. It's important that it's the rest of the world. For the sake of our class, we're going to be focusing on that number just being at 90%, although that is not a fixed number according to the courts. But that was finishing general. Today, we talked about transient presence, also known as TAG, and consent and waiver. And these are the final ways that someone can find personal jurisdiction in order for a court to hear a case. Okay, so let's talk about these real quick. Transient presence. We have TAG. The case at hand is Burnham v. Superior Court. This was a divorce case. There was the defendant is from New Jersey. His wife and himself got separated. And they had agreed that she was going to file a divorce in California for ir- for differences. Well, we'll just say that, for differences. And he ended up going against that, filing in New Jersey for abandonment. The reason why this is important is because divorce cases, the way that you file could actually determine the way resources, personal property, is allocated to what parties. Well, she wasn't happy about that. She reached out to him and he wasn't going to budge. Anyways, he came over to California for some business trips from New Jersey. He was going to work and then he went to his wife's house, took the kids on a little weekend trip to the beach, came back and she served him saying, you've been served, and she gave him the complaint and the summons. That's that's what's required for a service. With transient presence, the question is, is this constitutional? Is this a violation of due process? Really, what we're learning from this case, though, is that if we're physically present in the forum state and we're served while in that forum state, there is going to be this transient presence jurisdiction or tag, jurisdi- or tag jurisdiction. So if a tort is committed in one state, you're domiciled in another, but you're currently visiting a third, and you're served in that third state while you're visiting there, then you're going to be subject to tag jurisdiction in that forum state. Let's say, for example, you run away uh, from the uh, from the service. They they don't service you until you get past the border. Well, are you subject to jurisdiction in that state. Well, no. 
you are notified that you have, you've received notice that there's a lawsuit, but you are not subject to that tag jurisdiction, tag personal jurisdiction in that state. When we're using transient presence for a corporation, though, we serve the registered agent in that state. And corporations that are currently operating in those states need to have registered agents. So that's quite easy to do. As far as consent and waiver goes, consent can happen in one of several ways, meaning you appear in court and you just don't raise the issue of jurisdiction. Your conduct could show consent, meaning if you have a claim, if you're a plaintiff and you file a claim in that jurisdiction and a defendant files a counterclaim, well, you're going to be subject to that counterclaim in that same jurisdiction. You've waived, or rather, you've consented to be subject to jurisdiction there. There's forum selection clauses, so these deal with mostly contracts, where you say what jurisdiction this is going to be under. You sign it saying this jurisdiction is going to be underneath the jurisdiction of the the laws and courts of San Francisco, California. And th- those are going to be often things that we sign not even knowing that we're consenting to that jurisdiction. So, for example, social media companies, those are all based out of California. And our signing of those, are, we're, we're agreeing to bring any litigation to California. So that's consenting to be subject to jurisdiction there. And then finally, engaging in form-related conduct, and this applies to business activity. When we have consent, that's going to trump or overpower specific personal jurisdiction. Uh, As far as waiver goes, uh, waiver is the failure to raise an issue about jurisdiction, and consequently you waive the right and to bring that issue up later. So this is actually going to go into rules that I want to just bring up right now. We have notice that we're talking about. I was going to do this as a separate episode, and I might do the second part of this as another episode, but this finishing up this jurisdiction leads us into notice. And the reason why is because under the way all this civil procedure works, a lawsuit is started when the plaintiff files a summons and a complaint. So you file the complaint with the court, and you serve the a stamped file copy uh, along with the summons to the defendant. And you need to do that within, I believe, 90 days of actually having that filed with the court. A defendant's answer needs to be filed within 21 days of the moment that they actually have been provided notice through the service. Additionally, the reason why we've brought all this up so far is because defendants are likely to file a Rule 12b which is a motion to dismiss. And all of this is just saying is we want this case to be dropped because this, this, or this has not been met. 
And we've talked about several ways to determine whether or not one of those things has been met. Uh, Rule 12b-2 is about specific personal jurisdiction. Well, it's about personal jurisdiction. And we just talked about the several ways that one can determine whether or not there's personal jurisdiction. And that's going to be specific personal jurisdiction, general personal jurisdiction, tag, or consent and waiver. And consent and waiver might actually be underneath one of those other subheadings. But making sure that you have the proper jurisdiction is one of those things that needs to be met in order for a court to hear the case. And if it's not met, this Rule 12b motion to dismiss can apply and they won't hear this case. All of this is central to the idea that there's got to be notice, meaning the defendant needs to know that they are being sued. It's their constitutional right to know that they are being sued, and because that goes to the due process clause of the Constitution. And this is going to lead into Mullane versus Central Hanover Bank and Trust Co., which we are going to start talking about next week. One final side note to do. This is something that we are advised never to do this, but it could work in theory, is that a party, say they're in Texas, is sued by another party in Alaska for a claim that is unrelated to theirs. So they sue in Alaska, and instead of filing a 12B motion to dismiss, they let that default, because if you don't, answer within 21 days, then that's a default and this summary judgment can be made against you. If you default in that instance and they receive a judgment in Alaska, well, then they would have to come down to Texas to collect payment. And in that instance, that would have to be litigated in Texas. Well, there you only have one issue now, whether or not there is actual jurisdiction. And that's something that the courts are going to talk about. But if you lose that case, well, you're subject to that. You, you can't talk about any of the other facts of the case because you've waived all your other rights and options to dismiss the case. And so you've only got this one argument that you can make. And this is called a collateral attack. And we were advised strongly never to use this process whenever we are conducting our legal activities. If it goes poorly, I'm assuming it could result in a lawsuit against you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro, and you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is, if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.